0: I invite you to open your Bibles to Ecclesiastes chapter 8. This morning we'll be looking at verses 1 to 9. Hear now the word of the Lord Who is like the wise, and who knows the interpretation of a thing? A man's wisdom makes his face shine, and the hardness of his face is changed. I say, keep the king's command because of God's oath to him. Be not hasty to go from his presence. Do not take your stand in an evil cause, for he does whatever he pleases. For the word of the king is supreme, and who may say to him, What are you doing? Whoever keeps a command will know no evil thing, and the wise heart will know the proper time and the just way. For there is a time and a way for everything, although man's trouble lies heavy on him. For he does not know what it is to be, for who can tell him how it will be? No man has power to retain the spirit or power over the day of death. There is no discharge from war, nor will wickedness deliver those who are given to it. All this I observe while applying my heart to know know all that is done under the sun, when man had power over man to his hurt. Father, we now ask for wisdom uh, to discern that which you are teaching us here in your word. We pray in Christ's name, amen. Amen. Well, Solomon here will open up chapter 8 with a question, as you see, who is like the wise? And then he says, who knows the interpretation of a thing? How would you answer that? Who do you know that is like the wise man? Who do you know that can give the proper interpretation of a thing? Well, if we base it on last week's message in chapter 7, we realize that finding a person like this is rare. In fact, Solomon told us that he only found one in a thousand. And so his questioning at the beginning here of chapter 8 really is a rhetorical question. Uh, it anticipates a negative answer. The truth is finding a person who is really wise and one who is, has the skill to explain something that is actually hard to interpret, it's almost impossible to find such a person. Solomon said it in verse 23 and 24, chapter 7. All this I have tested by wisdom. I said I will be wise, but it was far from me, that which has been far off and deep, very deep. Who can find it out? Wisdom is difficult to find. It may be deep. It may be very deep. But it's actually within our grasp. And so Solomon's questions here do serve to wrap up chapter 7 but they also serve as a transition for us into the content of chapter eight. Finding true wisdom is rare, but it's not non existent. There are truly wise people. And we know this because Solomon describes the appearance of such a person. He tells us that he tells us here what wisdom looks like. Look at verse one. A man's wisdom makes his face shine. And the hardness of his face is changed. Now, if he couldn't find any wise people, he wouldn't know that. He wouldn't have shared that. There are wise people, and the wisdom that they have kind of changes their countenance. A good example of this in the Old Testament would be Daniel. When Daniel was a young man, he was taken into captivity into Babylon. And he was actually trained in the court of Nebuchadnezzar. And we're told that he stood out. Him and a few of his friends, they kind of stood out in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of Daniel. He found uh, them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in all his kingdom. That's Daniel chapter 1, verse 20. And in Daniel chapter 2, we're told also that he was the only one in the entire kingdom who was able to interpret King Nebuchadnezzar's dreams. In fact, the Hebrew word for interpretation in our verse here in in Ecclesiastes is only used in connection to the interpretation of dreams or the interpretation of signs in the service of a foreign ruler. That's the only way it's used in the Hebrew Bible. And that same word is found in Daniel chapter 2. After all the wise men in the kingdom failed to interpret the dream of King Nebuchadnezzar, what happened is King Nebuchadnezzar was sending a man to kill all these wise men because they couldn't interpret the dream. And what happens is, is, is Daniel steps in. He intervenes and he says, Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Bring me in before the king and I will show the king the interpretation. And so that's the context of verse 1 in our verses this morning. As we'll see in verses 2 to 9, they go on to deal with specific issues, especially with wisdom and royal authority and power and the knowledge of the future. And Daniel actually serves as a living example of what we read in our passages. And so when you have time later, you can go back and read Daniel's story. For now, after telling us what wisdom looks like, what Solomon does here is tell us what he's dealing with people with power and authority, how to deal with people with power and authority. One writer said it this way, verses 2 to 9 give us practical guidance for dealing with earthly government, whether good or evil, even in matters of life and death. Now, that's true. It's, the context is government, Israeli theocratic government. But it can go beyond government. And it really addresses any time we find ourselves under the authority of another. See, the question being answered is, what is the wise and godly way for us to live under the power and the authority of others? Be it godly power or those who abuse their power. See, what Solomon's going to do is offer us practical wisdom for when we're under an earthly authority that's not entirely righteous. And and, and because of that, we're not certain how we are to handle it as believers. And he begins with the main course of action that we as believers, that we are to take when it comes to the relationship between us and the governing authorities. The first wise course of action is to live in obedience. We are to submit to the governing authorities. Look at verse 2. I say, keep the king's command because of God's oath to him. We're to keep the king's command. The word means to guard, to observe, to give heed. That is, we are to submit to and obey this authority over us. Now, this teaching of submission to authority is found throughout the New Testament. Jesus says what? Render under Caesar what is Caesar's. That's in Luke chapter 20. Paul said, be subject to the governing authorities. And it's worth pointing out that when Paul said that in the context, he was speaking of Roman authorities who were not righteous leaders. Yet he says, be subject to them. Martin Luther called this the duty of political obedience. Another wise person said, every Christian is called to be a law-abiding citizen and to respond to any, any godly request the government makes for help. This includes everything from paying our taxes to answering the president's call to volunteer service. And the first reason we're to do that is because an oath is made. An oath is made. Look at, verse, uh, look at the verse. Keep the king's command because of God's oath to him. Now, the translation here is difficult. That's why if you look at different versions, you'll see different things. It can mean an oath that God actually takes or an oath that God actually gives. That's how we interpret it in the ESV version, the one we're reading. But if you were to turn to, to the New International, or, or no, the NASB, it can mean a sacred oath or an oath taken before God. And, and we see that interpretation often in the New Old Testament. When the new king was anointed, he, people would swear allegiance to him. For example, in 1 Chronicles, all the leaders and the mighty men and also all the sons of King David pledged their allegiance to King Solomon. Now, that sounds familiar. We pledge allegiance to the flag, and by doing that, we're pledging allegiance to our country. And so based on that interpretation of this, Solomon is saying that a wise person will, will, will keep the governing authority's command because of the oath of allegiance made before God. Now, That's how many people interpret it. But I don't think we should rule out the first interpretation either. The rightful king of Israel, when they were appointed as king uh, by an oath, and it was an oath that God made before them. We need to remember that people of God were obligated to obey their earthly king. Why? Because he was anointed by Almighty God. And so to obey the king was to give honor to God. The Apostle Paul explains this in Romans 13. For there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. And so that interpretation that God's the one making the oath is also has a biblical precedence as well. Our governing authorities function under the sovereignty of God, and there's no authority other than God, and He's the only one that can give it. And so that's two interpretations, and either one, it it really doesn't matter, honestly, how you interpret it. Ultimately, if we were to step back and say, what are we saying here? We are to submit to the governing authorities because of God. Either either, either, we make an oath before God or God makes an oath in installing these governments. In either case, Solomon teaches that to obey those in authority over us is wise to do because of God. Well, now in verse 3, Solomon addresses an individual. And in this case, what happens is he, he disagrees with the king. And he says, all right, this person disagrees with the king. How are they to respond? Verse 3, be not hasty to go from his presence. Do not take your stand in an evil cause, for he does whatever he pleases. Now, understand what Solomon is saying here. Remember, in the ancient world, an audience with the king was a matter of life and death. It's not the same, say, even in England today, let alone in America. Um, You can remember the story of, of Queen Esther. Mordecai, they were going to kill the Jews. And so Mordecai requests that Esther go before the king and tell him about this plot to have the Jews killed. And Esther said, look, I'll do it, but you guys need to fast. We'll fast and I will go to the king. And then she says this, although it is against the law. And then she says, and if I perish, I perish. It was a life and death matter to go before the king. He didn't just walk in willy nilly. And say, here I am, I have a point to make. And you're going to listen, king. That did not happen. Or if it did, you'd be dead immediately. Um, uh, You risked your life if you stormed out of a meeting with the king. A hasty departure from the throne room was really a sign of disrespect. That's the point Solomon's making. A way of turning one's back on authority. And, And Solomon says here, that's unwise. It's unwise. We must be cautious. And then he continues in verse 3 Do not take your stand in an evil cause, for he does whatever he pleases. And what he's saying is, don't get entangled or involved with any matter that the king may find displeasing. One paraphrase translates it this way Do not champion an idea that the king opposes. When people are under the authority, under the rule of an ungodly authority, what is the temptation? It's to rebel. You kind of get the image here of a person who who kind of rushes into the king's presence, finds and then rushes out of the king's presence, doesn't like what the king said. He goes and finds others who oppose the king, and, and it'll take up his new cause, and they join forces, and they begin to plot against the crown. You see it in movie after movie after movie. Well, in real life, it's happened, and Solomon did not approve of this approach. He's saying, look, the king's power must be taken seriously. The king does whatever he pleases. And so the point is he will punish any appearance of evil, lack of submission, lack of respect or rebellion as he sees fit. In fact, as we read in verse 4, for the word of the king is supreme, and who may say to him, what are you doing? And the answer is no one. It's interesting that those same words, what are you doing, appear in Job. Um, it, it, what will, who will say to him, what are you doing? Speaking of God, it's also found in Isaiah's sermon on the sovereignty of God. Isaiah says, woe to him who strives with him who formed him, a pot among earth and pots. Does the clay say to him who forms it, what are you doing? What are you making? You see that pattern? The idea is that if it's God, if it's a king, if it's a potter, all exercise similar authority and power over their subjects. And so Solomon says, if you want to be wise when responding to power, be submissive and just quietly go from his presence when you disagree with him. Do not start a rebellion. And the point is, obedience and a proper wise response to those in authority over you keep you out of trouble. Verse 5 says this, whoever keeps a command will know no evil thing. Why? Because a wise citizen employs the correct process at the proper time to present any grievance. That's what the rest of the verse says. The wise heart will know the proper time in the just way. And so obedience to authority has God's blessing. Submitting to the rule of law will keep you safe from harm. Now, Even as I say that, you can probably come up in your minds a thousand times that isn't the case. And that's because what Solomon's doing here, it's it's wisdom literature. He's speaking speaking generally, like Proverbs. It's not an absolute promise. Well, if I just obey, nothing bad will happen to me. It's a general truism. That's generally what happens. Wisdom helps us know what to say and when to say it. And because of that, generally speaking, it keeps us free from the government's punishment. And remember, God appointed the government for that very purpose. The Apostle Paul says this, Romans 13 again, "...for rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but the bad." That doesn't mean that sometimes a ruler is a terrible ruler and, he, and, he, um, and he's terror to those who are good. But the point is, rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but the bad." And so, God appoints these governing officials and rulers of towns, cities, countries, so on and so forth, states, and he appoints them there to punish wrongdoers. They carry the sword. And so, it raises a question, though, when you think about this and you see the world around us. Must I always submit to governing authorities? Or... Is there times, as a Christian, I'm to disobey, especially in times like ours, when the government enacts laws that are contrary to everything we stand for biblically? And when I say especially in times like ours, the truth is there's nothing new under the sun. The Apostle Paul understood a government that had ungodly laws on its books. In either case, Solomon is saying, is Solomon saying to us, we must never ever disobey the government. We we never have a duty to disobey in order to fulfill God's higher obligation. And by saying it that way, you get the point. Obviously, that's not true uh, when you put it that way. God honoring submission to authority is never blind obedience. The apostle Paul understood this. One writer said, The state is neither our conscience nor our ultimate authority. We are never called by God to blindly passive and amorally slavish conformity to whatever laws may be decided to impose. The government says, You're not allowed to open up your Bible. He's not, Well, the government said it. I got to stop. We need to apply wisdom. The point Solomon, the only point Solomon is making is that practically speaking, we must be cautious before we disobey. We must be cautious. We must apply wisdom and we must be sure before we just walk away from an authority that God has put in place. And before we question their motives or tactics, before we take a stand against their command. And so yes, there may be a time we must disobey the governing authorities. Remember Peter. They came to Peter and told him he wasn't allowed to preach, and he said, we must obey God rather than men. However, we must be sure that when we do, it's because we're being asked to violate God's commands, not just being asked to do something we don't want to do, or even something we dislike, even if it's wrong, uh, or we don't particularly like, or that is inconvenient, and we don't want to do it. See, without the benefit of godly wisdom, Christians have been known to respond in foolish ways to governing authorities, breaking God's law in the name of God, because they're angry with the government's law. Uh, the, uh, uh, many would argue the Crusades are a very good example of this. Now, we live in a democracy, and so we have a little bit more freedom than most Anybody did throughout Christian history in regard to being able to take a stand. We can speak out against our president. We can speak out against our governing authorities. Um, and And it's actually dialogue like that is expected. But we still must show the proper respect for the office. We still must submit to our governing authorities, including those on the other side of the political aisle as us. You don't obey when your president's in and then disobey when your president's out. And so it comes down to being wise is the point. A wise man's heart will know the proper time and the just way. Let me give you an example. Jesus knew. He he used wisdom for getting out of a dangerous spot. In Matthew 22, we're told that the Pharisees sought to entrap him. And, And they said to him, is it lawful to pay taxes to the emperor or not? Now, Understand the situation here. If Jesus said yes, the Jews would be angry. If he said no, the Romans could charge him with treason. And so how should he respond? Well, Jesus says, he's aware of what's going on here. And he says, why put me to the test, you hypocrites? Show me the coin for the tax. And they brought him a denarius. And Jesus said to them, whose likeness and inscription is this? They said, Caesar's. Then he said to them, Therefore, render to Caesars what is Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And when they heard it, these leaders, these Pharisees who despise Caesar but all happened to have a coin on him, um, when they heard it, they marveled, and they left him and went away. He applied wisdom in that situation. There was another occasion. The Pharisees now are really upset, and they're trying to destroy him. And they want to kill him. And instead, Jesus doesn't confront them. He avoids them by departing with his disciples by the sea. You read that in Mark chapter 3, I believe. He withdrew. Because why? Because his time had not come. You see, there's a time to confront. And there's a time to withdraw. And a wise person discerns the difference. And that's the point, actually, to verses 6 and 7 of what Solomon says here. For there is a time and a way for everything. Although a man's trouble lies heavy on him, for he does not know what is to be, for he who can tell him how it will be. Now remember Solomon's words in chapter 3, there's a time and a season for everything, a matter for every matter under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die. We don't know what lies ahead. We don't know how the authorities will respond. We don't know whether it'll be a time for war or if it's going to be a time for peace. Since we don't know what the future holds, we can kind of feel in this situation like that helpless and troubled. Use Solomon's words here. It, it, it can lie heavy on us. We can end up being frustrated when we see laws enacted or, or and where we, we know where this may be headed, and we could get frustrated, um, and the burden seems too weighty to bear. Well, Solomon's point is we have to do things at the proper time despite how difficult it gets. One writer explains, no matter how many troubles we may experience at the hands of authority, we must not rush the matter and commit an error by improperly confronting them at the wrong time for just much needed relief. It's tempting when you're under pressure. We must discern the proper timing and be wise in our approach. There's a time and a way for everything, Solomon says. See, if we're going to know what time it is, the proper time, what we need to do as believers is is trust the Holy Spirit to guide us, to direct us, uh, to give us the right way, to provide the right time, and, and to give us the right words. You remember what Jesus said to the disciples. They were going to face the governing authorities. And he says, when they deliver you over, by the way, notice what he says, they're going to deliver you over. When they do that, don't be anxious how you are to speak and what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Now, in one sense, that's particular to the time of the disciples, but it's true of all of us. We need to trust God. We need to pray for wisdom. We need to ask the Holy Spirit to give us wisdom to discern the time so that we'll do things in a right manner. If you take away nothing else, notice that you can't just jump to conclusions. You have to be able to think through. You must obey the Holy Spirit, not the latest pundit on the radio. It's the Holy Spirit that we must follow. Well, Solomon turns now to four more things in life that bring us frustration. Solomon likes to talk about the frustrations of life. Look at verse eight. No man has power to retain the spirit or power over the day of death, There is no discharge from war, nor will wickedness deliver those who are given to it. Four things mentioned here the man has no control over. No one can retain the spirit. It actually, better translation may be, restrain the wind. No one can control the weather. No one can control the day of his death. No soldier can discharge himself in time of war. And no evildoer can deliver himself through wicked deeds. Now, the point that Solomon is making is actually important for us to consider when we see authority abusing its power. It seems so powerful. When rulers or monarchs or kings or presidents abuse their power, what happens? We get frustrated. We have righteous anger, even. We don't see any light at the end of the tunnel, we see it going downhill. They have all the power, we have none. And, and at that time, our wisdom, although we need to have it and ask the Holy Spirit, it just seems inadequate. It's limited. But see, that's the point. Our wisdom is limited against the government. So is the king's limit in wisdom. His power, the king's power, the president's power, the, the current congress, whatever you want to say, local authorities, they're not ultimate power. No matter how much they may think they have, The king, like us, has no authority over the future. That's what we learned in verse 7. The king, like us, has no authority over the wind. The king, like us, has no authority over the day of death. The king, like us, has no authority over the outcome of the battle. And he, like us, has no authority over the eventual judgment of evil. In, 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 In the realm of the future, in the realm of climate, in the realm of death, in the realm of war, in the realm of uh, judgment. Only one person has such authority, and that is King Jesus. See, in the Gospels, we see Jesus' authority over all five of these areas. He has authority over the future. In Mark 8, we read, He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed, and after three days, rise again. He has authority over the future, and he has authority over the climate even. He he tells us in Matthew 8, or we learn in Matthew 8, he calms the storm. He got up and rebuked the winds and the waves, and it was completely calm. The men were amazed and asked, what kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. He has authority over the weather. He has authority over death. He raised Lazarus. John 11, we read Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. And so he has authority over death. He has authority over war. We read this in the book of Revelation in chapter 19, Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He has a name written, King of Kings, Lord of Lords. See, Jesus has authority over war. He has authority in the midst of battle, and he has authority over judgment. He executes judgment. John 5 says, For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to all whom he will. The Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And as he has given him authority to execute judgment, because he is the Son of Man. That's our Savior. That's our Lord. That is our King. He has been given all authority over the future over the climate, over death, over war, over judgment, over all things, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him, we read in Matthew 28. And so it's true that those with earthly power can bring us harm. Verse 9 tells us, all this I observe while applying my heart to all that is done under the sun when man had power over man to his hurt. But they only wield that power under the sovereign hand of King Jesus, our Savior. He is our ultimate authority. And and so, look at it this way. I'll, I'll close here. If it is wise, as Solomon says, to heed the words of an earthly ruler, if it is wise, as Solomon said, to be very reluctant to rebel against an earthly ruler, How much more should we honor and obey the word of a heavenly ruler, the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings, our Savior Jesus Christ? See, here's the truth. All of us here are under authority of others. All of us here face an uncertain future. All of us struggle with interpreting what happens in our lives. It gets us frustrated. It can get us angry. And so the wise way for us to live is by submitting to the sovereignty of God and entrusting our lives, body and soul, to King Jesus. Yes, much, much more needs to be said about how we relate to governing authorities. And we have an obligation to them. Yes, we must submit to them. Yes, we must respond to them wisely. But the point is we often don't do that. We, we, just, we just don't have the wisdom needed. We don't do it at least perfectly. And so in light of that, we need to submit ourselves to Jesus. He, as was said, is the king of kings. And so when you submit to any earthly government, you are really honoring his eternal lordship and kingship. He is a savior who died at an appointed time, patiently surrendering his spirit to the father, and he offered his life on the cross for our sins. He is the Lord of eternal life, so he's able to deliver you from death and give you fullness of joy and everlasting presence of God. He is the wisdom of God. And so, if you want to know the wise way to live, well, then you need to turn to Him. See, when you find that your wisdom in, in Christ, when you find it there, when you find it in union with Him in His Word as He speaks to you by His Spirit, it makes all the difference in the world. It, it, it completely looks different than how most things are handled. And so, the search for true wisdom, is only found, and it ultimately leads to our Savior and King Jesus. And so ultimately, the wise thing to do is to give your life to him. And if you do, you will indeed be wise. Let's pray. Our Father, we lack wisdom. We lack discernment. We're wise enough to see that even as we discern the times that evil is prevailing... And yet we don't have the wisdom at times to know how we are to respond appropriately and effectively. And so we thank you that in the midst of that, when we struggle, when we don't understand, we know that you do, that your son reigns, that you are sovereign, that you've placed all these men and women in their positions. And then you can raise up leaders and tear them down. And so we trust you and ask, Lord, that the Spirit would work in our hearts, that we would grow in that trust and that we would grow in wisdom. In Jesus' name, amen.